So in a way, having the day that uh, commemorates birth, death, and awakening in the same same day itself is quite an image, isn't it? Because birth is really pretty human, pretty ordinary. <laughs> death is very human, very ordinary. Awakenings, very human, but extraordinary. And in this kind of ordinariness, this earthiness, this mortality, the most common form of human, that we can describe a human being as, the most common denominator that we can attribute to human being, birth and death, incarnate, is also the place in which this uh, awakening process can take place that we call Buddha. Remember, Buddha is a title, an expression of the blossoming of human potential. That the one we call the Buddha said, I'm not the only one, there were many before me, there'll be others afterwards. This is you know, a blossoming that's possible in this human form, its most earthy level. And so we reflect on that because, of course, we're all living ordinary lives, aren't we? And our theme, although today is our commemoration day, you know, really for a practitioner, every day is Buddha day. <laughs> every day is birth and death. Every day something in us is passing away. Cells are breaking up. Things are passing. Every day something new is happening, coming up. We're in this constant shift. The awakening. Awakening is the still point within that moving, shifting human tide. Of course it's unusual because the shifting human tide is full of the drama and the clamour and the pangs, the joys, the attractions, the aversions, the issues, the fears that grab our attention, and rightly so, of course. But if we don't have a still point within that, we have no way of really comprehending it, handling it, managing it. You know, we just take it in, we just become part of the chaos, part of the swirling, yeah, which can be pleasant, of course, at times, but, you know, it does go through some pretty turbulent, unpleasant uh, scenarios, loss, and uh, fear, and uh, power, and threat, and so forth. There's still a point, it doesn't actually prevent you from living a full, beautiful life. It just helps to keep you, uh, keep your boat with its keel in the water, so it doesn't, you, so it doesn't, its anchor, so it doesn't get blown away. You can still enjoy the sea, but you don't get thrown out, thrown around in it. Mm-hmm. And you begin to notice there's something about that. And when it becomes, uh, you're awakened, you're clear about that. You're not resisting it. You're not take. You're not flooded by it. Somehow in all that movement, the stillness, it's not resisting anything, it's not favouring anything, it just is. 
still and you can you can rest there you can be clear there you can be wise there you can not be biased and reactive and habitual and automatic and stressed <laughs> you know, so we look at this as very eminently practical it's why it's a teaching that's been so so timeless because these are always the issues that people are coming up with whatever their belief is or their lifestyle is we all come to this just like we all come to birth and death stillness that point most of us need reminders we have a day like this as a reminder or a sense of everybody gathering around it that sense of gathering helps us solidify and emphasize a common quality that all of us have whatever age gender disposition is you know we're all human awakenings not of man or a woman old or young you know Sri Lankan Thai Burmese English doesn't matter you know so it's that gathering together that's so important not a private club <laughs> it's always open door come in take you know listen consider it for yourself you know up to you mm-hmm. open hand and today we were using the uh, the stupa many people are familiar with the buddha image the image of the person sitting uh, but actually the more ancient image is the stupa, which is this uh, uh, mo- monument we've been walking around. Mm. Anyway, that kind of keeps it beyond any outward description. It's not a person. It doesn't look like a person. You know? It reminds us that the real essence of Buddha is an internal experience. You know? It's definitely not about the visual descriptions we can create of, of this particular person. And this one was um, another example of just, you know, the whole process of this uh, placing the Buddha on this territory, on this land. So it now is a place in southern England where the only place really south of the Thames, at least, where you can get this kind of occasion, you can come together around in this number. And the stupa acts as the reminder that connects us also to the ancient traditions of India and Thailand and Lumpur Cha lineage. Because though the stupa is ancient as a, a, a symbol of awakening, this one specifically was created to, out of two images, two famous stupas in Thailand, mix them together. One was like an upturned bowl. So you see the base of this stupa is a, like a basin upturned. That was from a place called Nakon Panom, which is supposed to be the first. And then we have the other element of it is the column that rises out of it which is from Nakon Patom. I'm not sure I've got the names right. <laughs> this is northeast Thailand. It's a sort of column form. 
So they put the two together to bring these two elements together, both aspects, both qualities, or both images of stupa. They built this as a commemoration of Lumpur Cha, who was a very eminent Thai bhikkhu, who was a father of our lineage, this particular lineage. And uh, that was where his ashes were interred when he passed away. This is in Wat Ba Pong in northeast Thailand. So after this monastery had kind of got established, which happened because he came here before he passed away, and it was always a kind of place he actually put his foot on his soil and stayed here. I always bore that in mind. This is Lumpur Charles Monastery. And Ajahn Sameda, Lumpur Sameda, gave it the name Chitta Viveka, which means a purified heart, heart that's removed from defilement. It's a beautiful aspiration. Lumpur Char was here. So I remember after I came here as abbot, the feeling of, you know, I should, should have something there, you know, that really makes it proper Buddhist. <laughs> Not just a converted house. <laughs> and uh, so it's some thinking some figuring, some calculating, and people offering service. And then the air out there at that time was all smothered with brambles and nettles and bracken. So they had to clean the whole area and take the topsoil off so that it would not grow nettles. And then we found that's the highest point in this particular part of the site. So the stoop is always the highest point. And then we started looking in. And then we had the wonderful opportunity of... Uh, uh, very skilled, our craftsman from Laos, and, uh, Prasit. I don't know if you know him. Anybody know him? <laughs> <laughs> so because he's from Laos, the style of the, that column aspect is the Laotian style with all the carvings on it. So he's a perfect person to carve the wooden mould for that particular form, or the or the arabesques and the flowers, as a Lao Thai style, so he carved that, all just as a beautiful act of dana. And then we cleared the site, and then uh, I think Argentita Dhamma was involved. He was always involved with buildings and things. And we had another monk, young monk, Manito, who got all the kind of cement work and got the proportions right. So it's, it's one-tenth of the size of the Wat Pa Pong Stupa. So we got the Wat Pa Pong Stupa and then shrank it all down to a tenth of the size. So it's all exactly the same proportion and then created that. There's a lot of work, of course. A lot of faith, a lot of generosity, a lot of inspiration, what we're doing here, you know, what are we doing here, you know, and something like that, you really get a sense of work, it's not just work, it's service, and you feel glad, tired, but glad, because <laughs> you're doing service, and you think this is going to mean something for people, this is going to sacralite, make this place sacred, because people will then come, look at that, 
maybe just recollect stillness, center, because it is a centering image, isn't it? You always walk around it. It sits there like the king in that clearing. The oaks stand around it and it sits in the middle. (laughs) That's a very beautiful image of what Buddha is about in the middle of the world, sitting still. Recollect. Of course, you know, trying to take this quality internally so we can carry that with us uh, is the the aim and your our encouragement and of course all of us to make the effort to do that because we do lose focus. We just pick up some of those qualities in the middle, in the middle of the world, still point, middle of the world, upright, not wavering. It's not fenced off. (laughs) It's open. What would that be like? And of course, many of the um, Thai Ajans, you would use this very word, Buddha, as a meditation mantra, a word that you use for a sacred meaning. So, say, okay, you want to take Buddha internally so you can carry it around with you, wherever you go. When you breathe in, take, the, take your in-breath. As you're breathing in, stretch the syllable Buddha over that in-breath. When you breathe out, stretch the syllable do over the air. And you get the sense there's a slight pause at the end of the door. You let it fade out. You wait. Then comes the in-breath and you bring the word bud. Bud. Do. So this is your meditation. This is how you bring Buddha into you. <laughs> So it comes right in inside your own body, whatever the outward shape of it is, or the disposition, or the age. It goes right as long as you're breathing, you can do Buddha. <laughs> it's a pretty open up possibility, isn't it? And if you develop it, you listen to those sounds. The sound door, particularly the long, soothing, releasing, it's a descending sound. You go door, right? Comes down into your belly, goes down your body into your belly. Then bud is a rising sound, and bud door. So it begins to move your subtle energy you know, in that particular way. Now we all recognize we have this physical body which experiences tactile sensations, but also with a little bit of recognizing, thinking, you can recognize you have an internal body which is to do with nervousness, nervous energies, whether it's excited or depressed, when you feel tense or relaxed, even when you feel angry or joyful, different energies. That's the energy system of the body. So when we link that to those words, those sounds, using the sound 
and the breathing to moderate the energies in your body. And what you can, (laughs) where this becomes extremely relevant, is because that very system feeds straight into what's called chitta. Chitta viveka, that which is removed or free from corruptions, and the released chitta, the chitta that's released, released from corruptions, defilements, sorrow, suffering. What's that? Well, if you really listen deeply to the movement of those words and those energies, that which is listening, attentive, that's chitta. Because you can't, it's not a thought. Thought just flashes by, can go off anywhere. But chitta is deeply receptive and receptive to feeling, receptive to this subtle inner energy of the body. This is why the Buddha used this breathing meditation as a way to calm, untangle, release this chitta. We can call it heart, if you like. That which is affected by Fear, delusion, gets crazy, uh, gets distracted, gets angry, also gets compassionate, joyful, clear, bright, wise. And you're moving it from craziness, ignorance, into awakening, into liberation, where you begin to acknowledge this quality and its potential and allow it to come into full fruition which is the release of the chitta from greed, hatred, delusion. So he recommended using this word, and you can walk up and down with it, you can sit with it. Bringing Buddha. Notice there's the out-breath. The out-breath, you don't push it, really stay with it. And don't predict an in-breath. Just let it all go, if you can do that. There's that openness at the end of the out-breath. The in-breath comes in, does the same thing. Come to the end of the in-breath, there's a kind of openness at it. Don't rush to the (laughs) out-breath. Don't worry about how well you're doing it. Don't think about it. Just receive it. As you get better at this, because your thinking mind keeps barging in and stray emotions and things distract you, just get, keep returning to it. And it begins to iron out all those tangled energies, those stagnant energies, those heavy energies, those rattled states. And you come to something quite serene. It's also more than serene, it's also very wakeful. You really sense what's going on. And you sense that as you get clearer at this, the times when the thinking mind just quietens down, you're at your most clear and balanced. 
you know, when it quietens down because you particularly you come to the end of the exhalation, there's absolutely nothing whatsoever to think about. You don't have to do it. It just happens. There's that openness with nothing in it. It takes some doing because most of the time the thinking mind, oh, what's the next? Am I doing it right? And so how long does this go on for? <laughs> Starts intruding. But okay, take another one. Take another one. It's like massaging something that's extremely agitated and, and tenacious. And you just keep massaging it. The mind releases its hold. Wow, and you're actually not asleep, not dead, not stupid, but, but awake, awake and still in the middle. And if they contemplate this kind of uh, flow, and then if you make something out of it, you can consider every bud is a birth, the arising, every doe is a death, the ceasing, and there's that openness also there. And everything in nature does that. Everything in nature, birth, death. But in the human nature, I can't speak for other creatures, there's that point which is neither birth nor death. It's just wakeful. And so if you really cultivate and get into that, you see, this is what, this is where Buddha is (laughs) in all this. And then you have some choice over what you do. Because you begin to recognize what arises. Is this coming from just habit? Is it coming from anxiety? I've got to do something or the other. Is it coming from grumpiness? Are we carrying bad habits with us? When something arises, when we come into the next moment, are we carrying old derelict stuff that you don't really want to put any more energy into this? Is this bring it out? So you use this kind of cleaning, not judging, but it's cleaning with the outbreath and fresher. What you bring in and what you let go of, you begin to learn this. So the breathing and that system takes on an even bigger. Um, relevance you learn the pause between out-breath and in-breath that moment what do you want to pick up now? Get, get more sensitive to what you're picking up So this is in a way Buddha giving us a chance to guide our lives. And you can feel the energy as you breathe in and you feel the energy when your chitta rises up. They're pretty much synonymous. So rises up with anxiety, you get that trembly sense. It's just... Rises up with worry or doubt. Just feel that sense, agitation, panic, or it rises up with a sense of this is beautiful, this is loving, this is generous. 
oh yeah, this one I like, this one is, feels good, this one I trust. So you're getting right behind the mind to the energies that feed its skillful or unskillful impulses. So you can take that process quite deeply from a bodily level to a neurological level to even a psychological level. Mostly people configure meditation, this is called meditation, one of the, you know, as a sitting process, because that's kind of where you, you really feel you can most clearly constantly focus internally without being affected by what's around you. You know, you can sort of sit quietly, maybe close or half close your eyes, and just go really into the body internally. That's often the place where we begin to find Buddha, to find Buddha there. This is sit. I call it sitting Buddha, and it's the place where you collect yourself, where you begin to sense or deeply explore those internal energies because you actually switch off visual contact which is the main way in which we go out well the Buddha taught four postures and obviously he's also very normal he did them standing standing Buddha walking Buddha reclining Buddha And they have different qualities to them. And we can use all of them for meditation. And they're both physical. And you can also detect that there's a certain psych- psychological quality to them. Mm-hmm. So if we stand, standing, the first thing that comes in with it is balance. Has to be there, otherwise it's not going to work at all, is it? <laughs> You've got to be all there. You can't stand with just your head or your shoulders. <laughs> the whole thing has got to come into unity and say, stand up. And then you have to find balance, otherwise it's not going to work. And that, the body does that for you. You balance. Find the balance sense. And standing, that we're, we're balanced, so it's an internal quality, the balance, isn't it? It's not about something touching me or anything like that, and it's not done through thinking, you can't figure it out, the body does it, but in a state of balance, you have an internal, steady, quiet sense, because balance isn't a sensation, it's just an energy of steadiness, right? Contemplate it. But then your eyes are open, so you can see what's around you. And you can hear what's around you, and you're not switching the outside world off, you're standing. But you're finding a balance within that. And you're standing, physically standing, as just that way of beginning to, what's it like when I come out of sitting with my eyes closed into being aware of the world without necessarily acting, but also the possibility of acting. I'm ready, I'm upright, you know. I can walk, my hands can move, I could say something, I'm ready. But 
just pause before you act. And psychologically, this is a very important psychological posture to have. Because what happens for most people is to go from maybe sitting somewhere to action. And, oh my goodness, it's eight o'clock. Get the scramble, grab that, put the dog in the fridge, whatever, <laughs> get the car, <laughs> rush out the door, we're out somewhere other. We didn't stand, we didn't know we stood up at all, but you did, otherwise you couldn't have done it. But that was completely lost in the, in the blur of the mind. Right? We rushed, we jumped out, yeah? and we didn't actually find balance at all. Because the mind isn't interested in balance. It doesn't do balance, it can't find balance. You try and find balance in your thinking mind, it's going to be a long search, but your body does it immediately. It does it so well, you don't even notice it. Because it's nothing to do with your mind. So when your mind switches on, scramble, scramble, the body, okay, the body's only concern as you go into moving is to stop you falling over. <laughs> you're going to move and you're going to get out that door and into your car without falling over unless you're really careless because the body will somehow make sure through maintaining and shifting its weights around to keep you balanced it does it thanklessly every day <laughs> but our mind is running doing all kinds of loops and tumbles and swirls and tangles the body kind of okay I better handle this and it, it keeps you from falling over. Balance. And what would you like if you just took a little more attention and give a little more credit and got interested in the fact of balance? Spend a minute. You know, stand for a minute and just recognize the mind running, jumping. This, better do that. How to say this, better fix that. Better do that. Why do they do that? I never do this. What's that needs cleaning? What about that? Oof. Where's that going? You know. And just take another minute. Take another minute and then. Well, that doesn't really matter. Yeah, but it's always like that. Ah, that's just why it doesn't. You, know, you find the whole lot begins to dissolve. Because you're not putting any, any energy into it. You take 10 minutes of standing, and the pressure and the momentum, the drive, cools right down. Then you can, from that, you can think of all that should be, could be, might be, wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it, what about what are they thinking, who, what does she think she is, and how they do that. What's the really important bit? Really important bit is move your foot. <laughs> Start walking. Find out where your keys are. Make sure you know, just take it a moment at a time, which is what walking's about. Right? You get standing Buddha balance, gives you a sense of judgment, discernment, judgment. I'm about to act, I can act, I have the potential to act. Just let's hold for a moment and let all those signals of what I should, could, might be, what he thought, what they're doing, whether I thought about, think about it, all that just 
sizzle away without putting any energy to it and then what's really really important now you probably get the answer will probably just stay cool focus on just one thing at a time that you can manage very important because when all that scramble comes in you don't get perspective you lose perspective and your energies just get fried people are doing this all the time once you get the hang of standing because that, that psychological thing you can stand while you're sitting in fact I do a lot of standing when I sit <laughs> a lot of time when I'm sitting I'm actually my body's sitting my mind is standing it's going uh-huh doesn't matter uh-huh that's not my concern uh-huh Tomorrow. Uh-huh. <laughs> Looks like he's having a bad day. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Certainly, when we live in a group, you know, it's important to stand when you sit because you know, you know, somebody has an opinion about this, or it should happen. You think, oh, just a minute. Do I need to have that? Let's wait. You know? Oh, he said it for me. I don't need to say it. It's passed already. You know, lessens the amount of noise going on in the room. Keeps the energy cool. The more we stand in ourselves, and this is important, and then you, know, you can be more judicious about what you want to engage with. Not just everything that pings and touches your heart because stuff can just ping and roll off or somebody else is dealing with it or it's kind of irrelevant or that's just me being cranky it doesn't matter you know, let it go you know. oh, this is important this one very important to bring standing Buddha into your life and so you don't you can, you can begin to get it going when you physically stand but because it's an internal quality, you can practice it in your car, <laughs> you know, when you're sort of which way to go, where you're going to get there on time. Just, just a minute. What's important is I keep drive safely now. <laughs> you know, just stand, sitting, standing. You're awake, you're open, you're noticing things, but you just, what I'm going to pick up, the important one. Standing Buddha. And of course we have walking Buddha. Walking Buddha is a very important one. And uh, Lumpur Cha, when he built the Uposata Hall, at, um, which is the... Uh, formal um, chapter house you could say of, of the monastery in Ubon he said we should have a walking Buddha in this one normally we have sitting Buddhas but he felt a walking Buddha was more appropriate he said because he felt the time what he was trying to do the time was about we need to learn how to be walking Buddha what does walking Buddha mean? with walking you're not just judging, you're also interacting. Right? You move through space, you change direction, 
Walking Buddha is the interaction to meet the space, change your direction, adapt. Like if you're going on a hike, sometimes you just can't go straight, you've got to go left because straights fall, you know, rock falling on it. You can't go straight because there's a swamp, so you've got to go back, turn left and go that way. You've got to be adaptable. So you're not just a, a railway train. Your walking Buddha is, is able to adapt to circumstances, is awake, interactive, flexible, changes in accordance with conditions, changes the movement in accordance with conditions, but in that ability to be that potential for change that is not hanging on to, I need to go forward, I want it this way, I want it that way, you're getting in my way, or, you know, not hanging on to that, they find still, there's that still point of non-attachment to views, opinions, getting things done my way, what I think of you, who you, you know, just don't need that. Just turn left. <laughs> just slow down. This is a swamp. You can't go that fast. You've got to be careful. Adapt. You know, that's Buddha speaking while you walk. And it often means we can bring this into both our own physical movements, also the way we interact with each other. Yeah. Learning to listen, saying something, he's not listening. Okay, ask him what he, what, what's happening. Please come here. Tell me what's happening for him. And when we speak, we listen. And we learn to listen to others. So we know what, where we are in terms of who we are with others. So not just steaming ahead with my monologue irrespective of where you're at you know, as a sense of that interactive relational balance which is you, me, how are we going to work this out together how are we going to walk together this is an enormous feature, a very distinctive feature I suggest of Rumpur Cha's training, this community very rare for people to get off on their own you know, we always think meditation, you go in your cootie, you sit on your own. Yeah, you could do that, but most of it was a lot of it just be together, chanting together, arms round together, working together, making decisions together, meeting together. You've got to be on your toes, you know. Psychologically, because if you've got your thing, this is the way I want to do it, I'm doing it this way, get out. No, that's not walking Buddha, that's tractor. (laughs) (laughs) Or locomotive. (laughs) They don't get enlightened. (laughs) Is every practicing walking Buddha, we get something really, really quite beautiful, quite fluid, and I think the image is sometimes, I don't know if he used it, something he used was of like the Sangha being like a centipede, all his legs running out the side of it. And somehow they all kind of go in the same direction, even the centipede snaking, you know, all the legs 
because they're synchronized with each other. Rather, one bit wanted to go that way, one bit going that way, nothing, something doesn't want to work at all. <laughs> Just move together. They were walking Buddha. And this is, uh, this is one of the foundational principles <laughs> of our training practice. Because in that, it's, you, it's not that you say nothing, it's not that you say something. You say something, you do something in accord, you read the room, you read the group, you look at the situation, you bounce it around and you feel for each other and then things flow. It's a very beautiful experience when it works and it's a very powerful training, very powerful training, because so much of us just goes, that's my idea, my time. And I think, and I really think that will be take me to the happiest place if I follow what I want at my pace. That's the what I want to do. That's going to get me there. And it's a lot of learning to recognize. No, you'll just get you get you onto your own island. That's all. And you want to be a ship in the sea, not an island. Something that actually can flow with others. This is walking Buddha. Practice it. Today is an example of it. These occasions. It's uh, yeah, it takes work, it takes practice. It's beautiful. One of the most inspiring things I see is the willingness and the gathering together. This whole situation has arisen through everybody interacting, bringing, taking, giving, receiving sharing, working, enjoying each other. And if we can be clear about that, keeping that still that sense of this inner awakeness to what we're doing, what energies we're bringing forth in our actions and interactions with each other. And there's a lot to do there because so many casual kind of slightly twisted energies come up as a habit of the way we relate to each other. Really trying to come from somewhere in a most loving, steady, clear place that, that takes other people into account. Mm. This is probably one of the most profound practices we can do. Let's not forget reclining Buddha. <laughs> Now, you may think reclining Buddha just means taking a nap. <laughs> Which is, human body, everybody takes naps, everybody lies down. They don't, take, don't need to be a Buddha to lie down. <laughs> just like you don't need to be Buddha to walk. But what is reclining Buddha? Reclining Buddha is you're not crashing out, you're actually extending your whole body over the ground. And you're listening from the soles of your feet, through your back, your spine up to your head and you get the sense here is it's enough it's enough rest gratitude contentment it's enough it's enough <laughs> yeah. enough is a pretty simple English word how many times do you hear it <laughs> How many times you hear, that's good enough? Well, we need it better, newer, faster. 
better. It's good enough. It sounds kind of drab, doesn't it? Where's the sparkle gone in your life? It's enough. That's why reclining Buddha is difficult. Because you can always think of something better, newer, different, more, something that could have been the way it is, and what we do tomorrow, and planning for tomorrow before today is finished. Planning for the next breath before this one has happened. Planning for what I'm going to do when I'm a non-returner, before you've even got an inhalation going. <laughs> Speculating on the nature of our own ship. <laughs> so we're just always uh, way ahead of our game. Way ahead. We think going ahead, so now rushing ahead is the, is the way to improve. Walking is definitely a way to improve, but also the ability to just acknowledge there has been skill, there has been goodness, there has been a refraining from unwholesome impulses. I managed to get one bad speech habit to stop. This is good. <laughs> Enjoy it, take it in. You don't take in and feel contented and satisfied and fully restful in, in, the, in what we're doing, in the goodness that we've managed to cultivate, in the company that we have managed to cultivate, then your, your mind is always going into discontent, fretfulness, rehashing the past, regretting, planning the future, wishing it could have been another way, wishing I could have been another way. Just stop doing that. <laughs> What's it like when one goes to the reclining Buddha? Now, obviously, in many ways, the signal for this is when you do lie down. But the trick is, of course, not to just immediately fall asleep. That's the habit. So taking the time to, when you do reclining practice, you, you lengthen your body. So it's a fairly formal thing. Where you keep the body quite straight without being rigid, but long. So there's nothing contracting. Don't go into the feet or huddle. If you go into that, you're lost, for sure. Go into long, and then feeling the body resting on the surface of whatever you're lying on. Bring your attention from the soles of your feet up through your spine into your head. It's a long axis. And then sense of, you know, imagine you, you know, resting everything. And I like to use this as a sense of gratitude. I practice gratitude. Could have been better, but no, I thank you. I wish you hadn't no, but thank you. <laughs> no, if only I could not thank you this much. You know, just keep eradicating those nagging stuff. Because you keep putting energy into it, you feed the beast. And it'll just keep nagging. <laughs> As you can recognize, you know, the, the physical Buddha, the one we, we know historically, he didn't have that great a life, really. <laughs> you know, trudging around northern India living on scraps of food and heat and insects and having to sleep on the hard ground and you know, giving lots of talks and a lot of time looking at monks misbehaving and quarreling with each other and so forth and just (laughs) 
could have thought, well, I'm get out of here. I can't waste my time with this bunch of idiots. <laughs> yeah. And then people try to kill him. His own cousin tried to kill him seven times, tried to kill him. So you could feel a bit, you know, fed up with it all, but just done good. The Tathagata has arisen in the world. Those who could hear, listened. That's all. Those who couldn't, didn't. That's all. That's that steady equanimity, coolness, calm, contented quality. Practice that. Practice it when you're, not just when you're lying down. Practice it in those moments when you're kind of feeling that in nagging inadequacy sense. You've done some good. And where is it that you've done some good? You recognize, I would suggest for many of you, perhaps all of you, I don't like to make blanket statements, your day fundamentally has been based upon doing the best you can from morning to night. You probably didn't even notice it. But from morning to night, you did the best you could for your family, your house, your work, other people. It wasn't perfect. But it was a thread of good intention running through it. Did you recognize that? Do you tap into that? Do you feel that? Do you enlarge your awareness of that? so that you take that thread with you. Because when we're reclining, we're also preparing for death. And sleep is the, is the, in which the mini-death. So you can practice it every night, the mini-death, the next morning. Oh, I'm awake. <laughs> Rather than, oh God, no. <laughs> I'm awake. Amazing. Yeah. Yes, of course, in the, the Buddhist teaching, it's what you die with, that's what's going to give rise to your next birth. <laughs> so if you're dying in regret and inadequacy, there's, there's your ticket, that's where you're going. <laughs> if you're passing away with, well, I did some good, yeah, I did some good, I don't treasure what was good, it's beautiful things happened to me, thank you very much, so-and-so, so-and-so, it wasn't perfect, but we had a good time, thank you. I learned something, thank you very much, that's where you're going. So it's important to, to, to cultivate this one, reclining Buddha. So I'll leave this for your reflection today and uh, wish you all well in your lives, in your sitting, standing, walking, reclining, coming and going. And uh, please stay tuned in. Lovely to see you. <laughs>